You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, hello, I'm Dr. Kim. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Dr. Jeannie, your other host. And today we are going to be speaking with our wonderful friend, veterinarian, Dr. Hugh Basham. We're going to be talking about what he has learned from the animals and actually what we've all learned from the animals. And um, Jeannie, you know, this it was you who started this. Oh, no. <laughs> when you brought, well, when you, when you brought to our mind the, and this is something that Dr. Basham told us that he really, really loved this particular uh, verse from the Bible, and this mm. is from Job 12, mm-hmm. and verses 7 through 10, and this is really where our show is going to focus today. And I'll yep. quote from the Bible now in the NIV version, but ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish of the sea inform you, which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. In the hand, in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Well, I just love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's actually become one that we use on the show. And I know Dr. Basham has really, really, um, has really, it's really brought to mind for him all that he has learned from the animals. So um, we're going to get to talk with him today. And it's always such a pleasure to have him, isn't it? It is. We really enjoy him. We do. So before we hear from him, we're going to have one of our little uh, promos and uh, be right back. So don't go away. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally. We'll be right back. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Pets can be a wonderful addition to your life. Keeping them healthy and happy is important. Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. The Pet Doctor, on demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, today we are speaking with uh, veterinarian Dr. Hugh Basham, and if you haven't listened to the previous shows he's done with us, we'd invite you to go back and listen to, uh, we did a show with him on enzymes probiotics and also um, his journey uh, his journey to where he is now as a veterinarian I'll give you his website right up front here it is the um, it's totalhealthparable.com 
www.thepowerhouse.com, and that will also be posted in the chat room. Um, welcome to our listening audience, and we're happy that you're here, and also Teresa, who has been coming on to our shows on a regular basis, so thank you for coming. Let me tell you just a little bit about Dr. Asham. If you have not been uh, to listen to one of the shows he's done with us before, he graduated from Auburn University in 1963. He spent four years in the U.S. Army Veterinary Corps. Um, three of those were in Europe and Germany. He was also an instructor at the University of Georgia School of Veterinary Medicine for one and a half years, and then later joined his father and later his practice in rural South Georgia. So he works now as a veterinarian with the Georgia Department of Agriculture. So welcome, Dr. Basham. It is such a pleasure to have you back with us. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me as well. I've looked forward to it for a long, long time, and I'm glad we're together again. Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. Well, Dr. Basham, today's topic came up in a um, conversation that we had with you um, I think it was last time, or it might have even been by email, because we do correspond with you by email regularly, uh, and we were talking about how the animals have affected our lives and what we've learned from them. And you've worked primarily with large animals in your practice, haven't you? Or has dogs also, I think, in your private practice? Well, yes, I did. Let, let me give you a little background that may be of interest to, to your listeners. Okay. You mentioned that I had been in the Army. If I mm-hmm. had stayed in the Army, I could have graduated at age 45, Retired, excuse me, retired at age 45 with a reasonable retirement. I chose not to do that. I then went to the University of Georgia, could have stayed there, retired at age 60, you know, with a comfortable retirement. But instead, I came back home to this rural area and began to work in a mixed practice. And, Jeannie, when I read Job 12-7, that mm-hmm. really hit me. I was, first of all, a little surprised at myself that I had not read that before. And secondly, I was surprised at how powerful verse that is. By the way, Job wrote this 3,500 years ago. Yeah, that that's something. Yes. So when I read that, I began to reflect and look back on the what I had learned from the animals. And being in a small town, rural area, and a mixed practice, and I, I counted, I probably worked with some 10 to 12 different species. Mm. Not in great depth, of course, but mm-hmm. I had a working knowledge of 10 or 12 different species. So when I read Job 12.7, I began to reflect, and I just jotted down some of the things, very briefly, that I had learned from the various species. If I had stayed in the Army, if I had stayed at the University of Georgia, I would not have had this broad background. Now, my hope wow. is that I'll be able to take that broad background that we'll mm-hmm. talk about in a minute and apply it to for the good that it might do. Yeah. You've worked with, you said, a variety of species. You want to uh, share with the audience how many. I know that you've worked with um, horses and, and cows and, of course, dogs and cats. So what are some of those other species? Well, I've made a list of them. <laughs> I've left out things like rabbits and chickens because that was not uh-huh. really part of my practice. Oh, okay. Dogs and cats and cows and horses and goats and elephants and pigs and turtles and people. Hmm. And so I took. You worked with elephants? Uh, very briefly. I'll tell you that story in a second. All right. <laughs> it's on my list of stories to tell you. <laughs> That's good. I can't wait to hear that one. It's a, it's a, you ready for this? It's a mm-hmm. big story. I'm ready. It's a big story. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it is. Huge. <laughs> well, do you want me to start or do you all have any sure. more questions? Sure. No, we're ready for you to start. All right. Well, the first animal that I wanted to talk about, first species, was the dog. And this was, you know, all of my stories now are 25 years old, 30 years old, so I've had a lot of years to reflect on these stories. But the, I was talking with a man one day in just casual conversation. He did not come in as a client. We were just sitting on the couch talking. And he said, you know, said, I've got a problem with my dog. And I said, well, what, what's the problem? He said, well, you know, there's a German Shepherd. I've had this dog for years and years and years, a great pet. But just lately, the dog is just personality is changing. Said so he's really getting mean, and you know he, he runs loose. And I'm afraid that when the children come home from school, said I'm afraid he's going to bite somebody. And of course, mm. I don't want that, and I don't want to pin the dog up, and and I just don't really know what what to do. Said so I'm puzzled by this whole thing. It's a total personality change. Well, you all know by now that I have an interest in nutrition. Mm-hmm. So automatically, I said, oh, here's another opportunity to test the enzyme product. Ah. So I said, well, Mr. Argenbright, how about taking some of this product and just, just putting it on your dog's feed and see what happens? 
didn't change the, the basic diet, just top dressed it with a little mm-hmm. enzyme product. Well, I got a letter from him. Not many people write letters, but he went to the trouble to write a letter, and it was maybe two or three weeks later, telling me about the total personality change in the dog. Oh, wow. Going from wanting to bite everybody, quote, to loving everybody. Well, he wasn't feeling good before. Right. <laughs> but but the, the, the point, I took that story, and I said, well, where else does that apply? Would that apply mm. to people? Mm-hmm. We, you know, people have personalities, and they're grouchy, and they're mean, and they're hard to get along with, and they're irritable. And I began to wonder, well, I wonder what would happen if their diet changed. Maybe that's not personality traits. Maybe that's diet-related. I think that is absolutely a big, huge part of it, Dr. Basham, especially in light of the fact that most of our foods nowadays, both human and animal, are so processed and also are laced with, and I say laced, um, with so much sugar and um, ingredients like artificial uh, ingredients that our bodies don't only don't need, but don't recognize as something they recognize it as something foreign so or as a as 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 something invading the body so absolutely um you know i think that for our animals and 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 i i don't know how aware people are but the pet foods have the same have the same situation Mm. and dogs and people have the same problems that's right (laughs) yes Exactly. It shouldn't take a rocket scientist to figure all this out. You just exactly. stop thinking and you kind of put two and two together. Yeah. And what do you think, what do you think, and I know we're going to go off of this probably in, to some degree into health because it's such a passion for the three of us, but what do you think about, because there is supposedly, first of all, there are more people in the world, so there's more animals, you know, people have more pets, there's more pets because there's more people, um, but so much rise in, in incidents of, you know, these dog bites. What if it's because, Dr. Basham, that two things, that these animals are fed non-species appropriate diets, number one, that they're being fed processed foods, which we already know affects human greatly with, um, you know, the ADHD and all the things that are happening with children. Um, But what if that could be why these dogs are biting and grumpy and not acting like dogs did, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago? And not to mention um, that we are also over-vaccinating them. So um, what do you think about that? I think you're right on target. I don't think mm. there's any question about it. And I guess our job is to how do we get that message out there? Right. The program is all about today. I, I think we three have some sort of an understanding, and now we share that understanding with others, and perhaps they will start to think and say, hey, maybe I, maybe, maybe I need to change my dog diet. I've never thought about that. Well, you know, and we do it one person at a time, and maybe you do the same thing. Well, I do. You know, we do it through the show, but, I mean, we do it one person at a time as we meet them. And my husband's very good about telling people as they're buying these foods at the store, <laughs> hmm, he gets to know them a little bit, and then he starts questioning why they're feeding that to their dog and or their cat or whatever. And the, the point that I'm trying to make here is that for so long we've been taught that this is the only way when we ask people, well, what did animals eat 100 years ago? They go, I don't know. I don't know. I guess they ate what we ate or whatever we fed them or whatever was left over and they were healthier and didn't have these behavioral problems and issues and people understood animal nature so much better because they lived in rural areas and on farms and so forth. And then to top it off, um, Dr. Basham, um, instead of addressing the root cause, we are addressing it legislatively rather than going to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about it. I can could not agree with you more. So animals have taught us all of this, but I, I wonder, a question, is anybody listening? <laughs> I think our audience is listening, or they wouldn't right. be listening to our show over and over, right. so that's good news. And then, of course, they spread it exponentially. At least we hope that they are doing that. So um, that's something that I have learned from it. It was my dog who has is the reason why I'm sitting here talking with you today. He's, he's, I learned from him just a whole bunch of things. <laughs> Well, we inherited our daughter's dog a couple of years ago, and the dog was as wild and rambunctious and ornery as it could possibly be. <laughs> and I began to think, well, you know, it's really not the dog's fault. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change the diet and see what happens. And with a diet change and love and you know care, the dog made a total turnaround. 
and, and my dog has now become loving instead of being honorary and mean and <laughs> aggravating. So I've seen firsthand what will happen, and I know you all have as well. Mm-hmm. But if we do nothing more this afternoon than get people to thinking about this, then, right. then we have had a successful afternoon. I agree. Good point. We- we had a recent situation in my own personal life, Dr. Basham and Jeannie, when um, you know we lost a, a, a friend that we had uh, we'd known since we first were married twenty nearly twenty one years ago, and he was only forty three years old, and he died in his sleep of and they and we just recently found out that it was probably a massive heart attack um, because he ate for every single meal he ate processed food. I mean, he didn't cook. He didn't. It was it was everything that you could pick up at a fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. He he drank, he smoked, and um, did all of that, and no exercise. And he was yeah, and he had a chronic cough. Well, and he had a chronic cough. And you know, if you know anything about the pulmonary function of the body of the heart and lungs together, that was real, real indicative of something being seriously wrong. And he said that one time, and this was just a few months before he died, he thought that he was going to run to the emergency room because he thought he was having a heart attack. But he later thought, no, it was just indigestion. Um, Yeah, and it it probably was a heart attack. And but what's interesting is he just thought. It's no big deal because I'm still alive, aren't I? It hasn't done nothing. This has done anything to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really sad that we're that out of touch with the reality of our body, you know, what our bodies need to function um, at. Jeannie's favorite thing to say is thrive and not just survive. And our animals, Dr. Basham, you work in where you see, you know, a variety of animals, like you said. And the animals, I am sure, are mirroring what's going on in the human world if they're not properly nourished. Well, I guess we'll beat this word nourishment to death, but it <laughs> needs to be uh, continued to be harped on. Uh, a friend of mine said something to me years ago that I thought uh, little about, but I've gone back and thought, thought about it again. He said, just because you, he's talking about me, know something, you think everybody knows something. Same thing. Ah. <laughs> and so I, got, I was thinking about that. And I said, well, you know, I believe he's right. What we're talking about now, I'm saying, well, doesn't everybody know this? I mean, this, this is so basic. Everybody should know it. Well, just a few short years ago, I didn't know it either. Mm-hmm. So there have got to be other people out there that don't know what we're talking about right now. And hopefully we'll say things that will, uh, will as I said, get them to thinking and make a change in their lives. That's the whole purpose of our show today. Yeah. And how do you? How did you start to learn these things? What? What? Oh, and I know you mentioned you alluded to this on the last show. You told us a lot about your journey in the last show. A veterinarian's journey was the title of that show. But what do you think? What was it that was the? Why? Why did you pay attention to what you were seeing in the animals? Well, because I was so determined to find answers. I was doing as I had been taught, and it was not producing the results that I thought we should be seeing. And I began to ask questions, mm-hmm. and I began to look. And uh, so as I sought, I began to find. And and all of a sudden, this, the picture became more and more clear all the time. And it's still continuing to become more clear. It's still, I'm still not there yet, of course. But uh, it's becoming more clear. And now as I think... I am learning. I said, well, can't everybody see this? But a few years ago, if you told me these things, I would have just kind of brushed it off and, you know, gone on. Mm-hmm. But I don't do that anymore. So hopefully we do can you think today do you think that will make a difference. Yeah. Right. Do you think that's due in part to the training that you received? Because your training, I mean, it was different. When you were going to school, Dr. Basham, the training is, it seems like now it's more focused on what to prescribe. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Our, human, humans and animals. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. Animals. Not how to prevent illness or not how to, you know, there was a time I remember um, as Jeannie and I had a guest on the show last year um, and in December, and she talked about the history of pets in America. And she talked about how veterinarians were originally large animal practice only. Yes. And so, and and due in large part because they were either food animals or um, our transportation, i.e. the horse. So um, the small animals weren't a consideration at that time other than through the pet stores is where you learned what you did, what you could do for your pets. So I'm just wondering. My father graduated in 1941 as a veterinarian. 
And so I basically, I was three years old in 1941, so I have seen the, seen the change mm-hmm. in thinking over the years. Gone from, dog, get that thing out of here, I don't want to waste my time with that dog, I've got more important things to do, from that attitude to the dogs being number one, the cats being number one. So the veterinarians in the profession has changed enormously in the last yes, yes. 70 years. Mm-hmm. It has, and I think um, not as much using your instincts because, again, the further we are from nature, the less our instincts are intact or are focused on nature. And, and that's why we have so-called issues with animals. I think the animals are probably going, I don't know why you have issues with me. I know what you're about. <laughs> well, we're we're the ones who... Can go I ahead, Dr. Bachelor. List? Absolutely. I'm going to yeah. move to cats now. Have you, okay. read, <laughs> have you all read the book Pottinger's Cats? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, we read about it, yes. Well, then you know the story, but I'll, I'll very briefly. Uh, Dr. Francis Pottinger was a medical doctor. And he conducted these experiments on cats in the 30s. So what's that, 75 years ago. And, and he basically had a large number of cats, several hundred. And one group ate uh, raw foods, as nature intended. The other group, as you all remember, ate cooked foods. Mm-hmm. Well, the cats eating cooked foods, before long, instead of having six kittens in the litter, they had five, and the next generation they had three or four, the next generation one and two, and the, the kittens were weaker and weaker, and more of them died, and just, just general health problems. The cats wouldn't breed back. But the group that was fed, <coughs> that was fed the uh, raw foods thrived. They maintained themselves, had continued to have six litters, uh, six kittens per litter, uh, no dental problems, and, and just the mother is milked well, and the kittens grew well, and the next generation did well. So as that group in, uh, maintained themselves and even improved, the group eating cooked foods began to deteriorate and go down and, and become sickly, and disease came in. Now, this was 75 years ago. And he wrote this in a book. You know, this is all documented. He was a medical doctor. He was doing real scientific research. And for the most part, I think his experiments have just been brushed aside, and we have moved on and forgotten all about what he told us 75 years ago. Mm. My daughter, but, you know, Dr. Bash, um, I think that uh, um, it might have been brushed by the medical profession, but certainly not by breeders or <laughs> those of us who well, own it. Or, anyway. um, Right, some breeders and those of us who are um, very focused on feeding species appropriate diets to animals. Well, there are thankfully uh, a remnant left out there that understands these things, and that's you know we're we're going to share that message as best we can. Because mm-hmm. there are people that understand it, but the masses don't, and hopefully we can reach a, at least a percentage of the masses with a program like this today. My my daughter's cat is oh I don't know twelve or fourteen years old. She changed the diet not long ago and said her cat went from laying around sleeping all the time, in her words, to skipping through the house. Oh! <laughs> another He's a huh? <laughs> 17. That's uh, awesome. Wow. Diet, quit taking insulin, and is doing better now at 17 than it was years and years ago. Isn't that so he's not on insulin anymore? No, no, took it off insulin. Oh. Pretty, pretty interesting. Now that's a testimony. That is a testimony and that is thing to really, mm. you know, amazing, Dr. Fisher. I'm glad you said that. Yes, yes. You know, I would, I would never hesitate to say people should go off of insulin, but it is something to kind of begin to think about in the back of your mind. Right. Well, they could go on, um, I mean, step by step as you, as you help, you know, peel back the layers of that onion um, and get to the root. It's you kind of a baby on. step walk. I'm going to move along with my list, if you all don't mind. Yeah. Yes. Cats, next on I list. can't wait to hear about the elephants. <laughs> I'm going to come into that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, cat, uh, cows. Okay. Uh, one of the things that you experience in, in a rural area is, is talking with people who are very intelligent but are not necessarily educated in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are keen observers more so than the average person is. Anyway, I had a fellow that responsibility was looking after some 400 dairy cows. 
and he was a herdsman. You know, he'd been there for years and years and years, and he studied the cows. He understood the cows. He was very sensitive to any changes in the cows. And he told me that they have a, a pond, a lagoon, you mm-hmm. know, with runoff from the dairy. You all can imagine what's in the pond. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, when, when the, the pond was full, they would pump this material out with a pump, pump it out onto the pasture. And to make the story uh, under, a little more understandable, they had 40 acres. So they pumped out there their, from the pond over 20 acres. Right next to it, the other 20 acres, they had to use chemical fertilizers because they ran out of the pond uh, contents. Mm-hmm. So he said it was almost a line right down the field. You know, 20 over here, 20 over here with an imaginary line right down the middle. No fence, just an imaginary line. Right. Because he knew where the line was. Nobody else did. Mm-hmm. So when the grass was up, they turned the cows in to graze. The cows instinctively went to the side that had been fertilized with the natural fertilizer. Hmm. He said they grazed it and they wouldn't even step over the imaginary line. They grazed on the natural grass until hmm. he said they just ate it right down to the ground. There was nothing else to eat. Wow. And right next to it was the, the chemically fertilized grass. And when it was absolutely nothing to eat, then they would go over and they would eat that grass. Mm. But as a last resort. As a last right. resort, that's right. And then they knew the difference. That's the amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. A cow? What does a cow know? I mean, grass exactly. is grass, isn't it? Yeah. But it was not a cow. Somehow there was something instinctively built into that cow to right. know what was good and what was not good. What was chemically treated and what wasn't. That's you don't, well, when you don't get see to... that in textbooks anywhere, but I thought... No. <laughs> <laughs> I bet not. When you get to dogs, I have a story to share about that. So, um, when we'll, you get to we'll what? Keep... When you get to the dogs. <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'm going to move along with my list. Okay. Horses. Uh these are not real, what I'm going to call, scientific stories. They were just stories that were observed. But anyway, two two friends bought a horse on a Friday afternoon. And one of them kept it at his house. And of course, the weekend they went home. And, and Monday morning they back got, came back together. And the fellow says, well, how's our horse doing that we bought Friday? He said, we're doing fine. He said, he said where is he? He said, well, that's, that's him right over here. He said, no, I mean the horse we bought Friday. He said, well, that, that's the horse. He said, no, the horse didn't didn't look like that. He you know, he's not he wasn't that dark, richer color. Didn't didn't weigh that much. Said he was a little thin. He said, no, that's a horse. He said, well, what did you do? What what's the difference? He said, well, we just fed him an enzyme product over the weekend, hmm. and in three days the horse changed so much that the man didn't even recognize his own horse. Three days. Oh my gosh. So in just wow. three days. Well, Dr. Basham, would you just for the sake, because they can go back and listen to the show you did with us on enzymes, um, just another song and dance, um, but would you just for a minute or two explain why that is so important? Well, enzymes are a catalyst, and they help break down the food, and in turn, when it's broken down, it can be absorbed better, and then once it's absorbed into the animal, the animal begins to use the food. It's just that simple. And one of the things that's a little hard for me to understand is in pet food, for example, you can understand because of processing in high heat that the mm-hmm. enzymes are, are destroyed. Right. But mm-hmm. under, under grazing conditions, but then again, hay and some of the horse feed is somewhat processed. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the enzymes make a big difference. And it basically is a catalyst that improves digestion. And once digestion is improved, you see the results. And the remarkable thing to me is that you see it almost immediately. Yes, in three days. That's incredible. I'll tell you one more thing. I mean, without. We have an enzyme reserve, and without that, um, you're dead. (laughs) We use them up. We use them up, and then they're replenished, and they're replenished through our food. Right. Uh, Exactly. And, And I think you dip less into your reserves. When you're fed, or when animals are fed a um, an, a, a diet that's alive, you know, for for their needs, whether it's an herbivore, carnivore, whatever, their diet is. That's why those cows wanted to go to the naturally fertilized grass because um, they could get their natural enzymes there. Well, one of the the uh, I think my best uh, category that I fit in personally is a clinician. You know, I'm not so involved with why it works. So the question I have is, does it work? 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we can let somebody else figure out how this works. Right. Most of the time, people can tell us how it works, but it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm more tuned in to does it work, and and once I figure out that it does work, then that's that's pretty well good enough for me. That's all so you if need. I, if I can answer the questions, I'm happy. But if not, as long as it does work. Right. But that's really important too, Dr. Basham. I have a story to share about horses and. Um, the interesting thing about this is this goes to water, uh, and I and we do have the video on Animal Talk Naturally, but it's about uh, where this one town and I don't I don't recall the exact state it was in. I think it's Colorado, but I'm not I'm not don't hold me to that. Um, this lady uh, there was a whole horse community, and the horses. Um, at that time, they mandated so that fluoride, and this wasn't too long ago, that fluoride needed to be added to the water, and we know why. <laughs> um, anyway, they added it to that water, and what happened was um, the woman started noticing with her horses, one of the women who, um, I'll tell you in a minute, she started noticing that her horses started suddenly showing up with um, uh, different kinds as a thing like hives all over their body, she lost two or three of her prize horses. Right. Um, they died suddenly, um, and and just eventually, it just her horses were not at the health level that they had once been. And the way she discovered what it was was um, because it had snowed, and she noticed that she had this great big fresh supply of water for her horses, but none of them were drinking it. They were eating the snow. Mm. And so she wondered why, and as they got the water tested, and this happened to several other horses, um, they would not drink that water as long as there was snow. So they fought to have the fluoride removed from the water in that town, and of course they won, and the horses still, to this day, will not drink out of that particular Hmm. uh, water supply because even though there's no longer fluoride, in their memory, that, that water was poisonous to them. Classic and they won't example. go back to that. Classic example of learning from the animals. <laughs> right. Exactly. But she watched her animals. Of course, now the ones that were affected are still not well, but the you know the majority were are you know back to doing um, better. But the point is that she wanted everybody to be aware of that. So we can imagine what that's doing to human health um, over the as long as we've been using it since World War II. That um, what, but the animals, it always for some reason it really shows up in them quickly. And if we're paying attention and watching them and observing, we could learn from that so readily. Mm-hmm. So I know you have another story, Dr. Basham. So I'll let you move on. I have to throw my stories in there. <laughs> appreciate you telling me that story because I'm learning from the animals from you all, so thank you. Oh, well, great. Well, we're some, learning from yours. Some vague problems. Horses not doing good, a little lame, little, didn't have any energy. You know, they've been wormed good. They were feeding them that good high-protein feed and so forth. But when the enzymes were added to the diet, these, these vague problems just kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And these horses had been to several veterinarians, and mm-hmm. you know, all the tests were normal, and, and they just didn't have any answers. And the better nutrition, specifically enzyme nutrition, right? And the problem just kind of went away. That's, that's amazing. It's, it's amazing to, to me. I, you know, and I've seen this for years. I think I mentioned it to you all. Even though I've seen it many, many times, I still have a whole lot of trouble saying, "Did that really happen?" You know, yeah. It's just, just amazing stories to me. Wow. Well, and they're instinctively going to go for what's what's good for them. If they have the opportunity to get to it. I mean, if you have a cat, for example, that is being fed a kibble, um, and cats are obligate carnivores, obligated to eat meat, they'll make their own, if they're allowed to go outside, they will go out and they will kill a bird and they will, or a mouse or whatever they can find to supplement that diet. My grandmother's cat used to kill rabbits <laughs> big as him and, mm-hmm. and eat them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, let me tell you a goat story. Okay. This is this involved Dr. Hubbard. I hope he don't does not mind me telling the story. <laughs> but, but Dr. Hubbard called me six or eight months ago and said, "Listen, said I've got four pet goats. Said they're in this little patch out behind the house, and and said uh, you know they're just pets. Said I, I confess to you, I like my goats, but they mm. but they've got diarrhea." And he said, now, here I am, a veterinarian, and I've wormed them, and I've done everything I know to do, given them medicine and whatever. He said, they've still got diarrhea. And said, I, uh, you know, here I'm supposed to have all the answers, and I don't know what to do. 
<laughs> so you all know what I suggested to him. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I talked to Dr. Hubbard, I don't know, a week later. He said, I can't believe those goats. They've had diarrhea for I don't know how long, and they've done everything, and they went, and now all of a sudden, just almost overnight, the diarrhea is gone. Mm. So he added enzymes to their diet. That's right. That's right. Well, I know that his goats are um, natu- you know, they're they're range fed and so forth, um, and that he, you know, he's a pretty great herbalist. So, um, well, he'd done everything he knew to do. Yeah, that was the amazing thing. That is amazing. That's is I think that's about. really great. No reflection on him, of course. He's no, just, absolutely not. Because and, uh, it's to his credit. Uh, that's right. To ask for help and to humble himself, exactly. and then to accept what we suggested. Exactly. Well, you know what? Um, also, I've learned about our animals, um, Doctor uh, Basham, is that when they're our own, we have a tendency. It's a more emotional issue for us. So to seek help from somebody else who is learned in the same, you know, in animal care. Um, can help you because I, I run to Jeannie when something's wrong with my dog. Certainly. <laughs> because she's not emotionally involved with him, yeah. she can under, and she understands me then, and she does likewise. And then, of course, we we run to you guys also. So. Right. <laughs> Talking about that, several years ago, we had some pet goats. The children were young, and we had a pet goat that was bred. She started to in labor, and. All of a sudden, I caught myself panicking. You know, what do I do? And do I help her? Do mm-hmm. I she need an operation? What you know? And all of a sudden, I said, "Listen, let's just get in the car and leave." So we went to the next adjoining town. Came back in two hours. She'd had her kids. She had it. <laughs> but I was I was just a little surprised at myself that I was right. so caught up with just a goat. Uh-huh. It was my goat. It was different when it was my goat. That's right. That's right. You know, right. and even when I, when Jeannie and I worked in veterinary medicine, during, you know, I was one of those people, and I know she is too, that under fire when we had an emergency, mm-hmm. I had no problem handling the situation. Right. I could help right. calm the owner at the same time dealing with the situation at hand. We didn't fall apart till later when it was right. all over with. <laughs> but with my own, I'm completely uh, panicked when you know my husband woke me up one night with my own dog rushing, and, and as we rushed to the emergency animal clinic, he's telling me, "Would you like to wear a hat?" And I thought, "What? In, what? In God's name, would you want me to wear a hat for? I've never wear a hat." Well, I found out when I got home that it's because I had not brushed my hair because he'd woken me up out of bed, <laughs> and I must have looked like Cruella Deville from the 101 Dalmatians. And so the thing is that when it's your own, you do kind of panic. Mm-hmm. Well, my solution to the problem now is I just take it to my brother and say, you know, fix it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Well, and it's also good for the audience to hear that just because you might be trained in this does not mean that we don't panic and have our emotional um, upsets with our own animals also right. because we do love them. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Well, are you ready for the elephant story? Yeah. I'm ready for the elephant. I'm trying to hear about the elephant. <laughs> well, you all can tell by the story that I've been telling that I'm I'm tuned in to what can I do to help these strange cases that can't be solved mm-hmm. any other way. And then I started looking for species. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to test every species I can find. And so one day the county fair came to town, and I went out and was talking to the man with the elephants. So he said... Uh, it's a long story. Somebody had tried to shoot his elephant, tried to kill his elephant, and you know we went out oh, to nice. investigate it there. But anyway, because we were uh, involved with the case, I said, well, what are you feeding your elephants? He said, well, I feed them this every time I go to a different town. And I said, would you mind trying some of this enzyme product? He said, no, I'll try it. So, you know, elephants, <laughs> he bust, got, bought eight or ten bags of this uh, 50-pound bags. So anyway, you know, he left town the next day, and that was it. Well, he came back the following year. And I rushed out to see him and how the elephant's doing. He said, by the way, they did real good. He said, by the way, have you got any more of that stuff you gave me last year? Mm. Those elephants just did wonderful on that. So I've never seen them do so good. And oh, I bet they did. I don't know how you test an elephant, you know, whether his eyes are lighter or, you know, skin looks softer or what. But but the man that lives with those elephants right. 365 days a year for years Mm-hmm. Well, he would know what 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 looked healthy and what right. didn't if he's around them enough. You just know the little telltale signs, even if the and of course, like they're going to have diarrhea and everything, just like any other animal would if they're something's messed up. And you know, Doc and Doctor Basham, elephants are highly intelligent animals. So, um, and he was doing. I'm his sure. Best, his very best. Yes, right. I'm sure he was. Coming up short. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sure he was. And you know what? That's just the point. The point is that we all take we've all taken steps to get to where we're sitting here having this conversation. I, I would say that. It took me a lot of steps because I seriously, really, totally, 100% bought into my training with veterinary medicine, and it and it took my dog to teach me to get to where to where we are here now. And so I think part of what we want to encourage people, Jeannie and Dr. Basham, is that um, to be patient with people who are just now making that turn in the right yes. direction. Yes, sure. Great point. Great point. Yes. Because it wasn't a few years ago, we were in the same place. That's right. Exactly. Patient with us, and so we have to be patient as well. Mm -hmm. And we get questions on a regular basis. I I have from every person that comes to our house who ends up meeting my dog, and they always like him once they get to meet him. Uh, And then we get inevitably to the conversation of nutrition, and they always ask me, well, what do you feed? And when I tell them, they're they're shocked. (laughs) Well, I'm feeding this, though. What is that one? Oh, you know, and I have to be gentle because I've been in their shoes. I was the person on the other side asking those questions once. Mm -hmm. And so, but they can make, they actually, what most people will say is, you mean I can actually go back to what I really thought was the right thing to feed them (laughs) originally before I went to my vet? And, you know, that's not to denigrate veterinarians because um, they're going according to their training greatly also, right, Dr. Basham, as as you know. Certainly. Well, the word is intuitive. Mm. You know, I like I like that word. And somehow we know what to feed our animals. It's just kind of deep down inside of us. Just sure. like mm-hmm. the animal knows what they need to eat. Mm-hmm. And, but but training and education and advertising has convinced us to to move away from what we really know is right. Right. To this other way of doing things. Yeah. And to move towards um, to buying a product rather than to doing what is healthy. Right. And. Um, that's why our show is called Unlearning. <laughs> I thought about that. When I heard your little song at the beginning. I thought thought about that exactly. Yep. <laughs> Unlearning exactly. is another one of those good words. Yes. Yeah, I we don't like even know how that came about. It just kind of happened because we always thought, well, we have to unlearn in order to relearn yeah. the right. And, and really, it's not our, we're not saying we're right. What we're saying is instinctively what's right according to nature, the way God provided for them in nature to eat. Um, and to be healthy, and that make, that goes for all of us, the, you know, us and the animals. Well, Doctor Basham, have you got any dog stories yet? Because you know, Jeannie and I are big dog lovers. So, well, they told us the one about the German Shepherd. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of another dog story. Right? Well, I've got one about the sunshine. You know, we've been told and told and told that sunshine's bad for us, but vitamin D is manufactured through our skin from the sun. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we can't do that if we're using loads and loads of sunscreen. Now, I'm, you know, I, I also want people to think you don't go outside and bake in the sun. But right. watch what the animals do to get their sunshine. Mm-hmm. And my dog will go out for 5 to 15 minutes and lay in the sun. And then he gets up and he comes back in or he gets in the shade. Right. And, and then he might go back out. Yeah. Go ahead, Dr. Basham. He did that yesterday. Mm. I took him for her for a walk. We had a nice little walk, came back, and the dog just almost instinctively laid down. Mm-hmm. And in the sun, mm-hmm. for probably 15, 20 minutes, moved over in the shade, got back in the sun, and then all of a sudden she was ready to come in the house. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess she was telling me that she needs to be in the sun. <laughs> yes, she does. Yeah. And they go and they lay out in the sun, not for hours, because they're certainly not trying to get a suntan. No. <laughs> The healthy thing to do is to go out in the sun, and it depends on your skin color, of course. The darker skin um, need more sunshine because it takes more for, um, it's you know, the reason why there are, is dark skin is because of the proximity to the different um, geological places mm-hmm. that, you know, towards the, according to the sun, so that's to protect you. But, you know, you need 5 to 15 minutes of sunshine per day. And what they're discovering is because we're so sun-deprived with lots and lots of sunscreen that we're, we're greatly vitamin D deficient, especially in the winter months. But just getting out there, and I'm not talking about baking and getting suntan, but just watch what your animals do. Watch what all the animals do. Mm-hmm. They all lay in the sun, and they don't ask for their sunscreen before they go out in it. But they don't stay well, you, in it very long. You ask a minute ago no. about a dog store, and I just happened to think of one. Oh, good. So oh, I'll be brief. But anyway, a man had a kennel of bird dogs. Uh, he must have had 40 dogs. And they weren't doing good. They were thin. It was hunting season. They weren't maintaining their weight. 
and he asked me to check them. Well, it's check for worms, you know. Everybody knows about that. Mm-hmm. Check for worms, and they had a few worms. I wormed the dogs. A week or two later, the dogs were no better. And I told him that, well, I think you need to work on the nutrition. I think you need a... He said, well, we're feeding this good dog food. I said, well, you know, mm-hmm. you need to put some enzymes with it. You need to supplement the... He said, no, I said, we're, we're feeding them good food. He said, I think, I think they're wormy. I said, well, I've already wormed them twice. He said, well, I think you need to check them for worms again. I checked them for worms again. No worms. I said, oh. I, I really wish you'd, you know, change... And so what he changed was veterinarians, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he got him a new veterinarian who I suppose would tell him what he wanted. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the unsuccessful stories that I could, that I could tell you. Yeah, and he didn't want to listen, and, and you know, and that happens a lot when people doesn't. Here's part of the challenge that we have faced, also, Doctor Bashan, the same thing you have, that if people don't want like what they're hearing from you, even though it's for the best thing for their animal, right? They'll go somewhere else till someone tells them what they want to hear. So I do hold, you know, it's not just you know, it's the a lot of people like to point the finger at the veterinary profession or those in veterinary, um, any kind of veterinary care of animals. But we as pet owners are just as responsible. That's right. Well, I have heard... In fact, I think more so. Yeah. Recently, that one of the most painful things a person can experience is dealing with a new idea. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, apparently it just hurts. It's pretty painful, huh? Well, especially yeah. if it goes against what you, you know, thought you knew all your life, you know? Absolutely. Sure. Well, I have a couple of quotes to go to that. We have one on Animal Talk Naturally that says, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And third, is it is accepted as being self-evident. Arthur Schopenhauer said that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that just almost mirrors what, <laughs> yep. what we feel. Well, um, let, let's be positive for a moment. We okay. might be approaching stage three. Yes. We, I, yes. We're close. We're close. Yes, definitely. Huh? I, I yeah. hope that we are. I th- I, we're not there, but we're, we're closer, closer than mm-hmm. we used to be. So I'm and excited. another one that um, Ma Gandhi said, um, he said, an error does not become truth by reason of multiplied propagation, <laughs> nor does truth become error because no one will see it. I like that. Mm-hmm. You might want to email me that, so I'll have it. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Y'all, I've but got a couple more couple of more species. Can I cover them right quick? Absolutely. We want you to cover as many as you can. Well, I've got two more. Okay. Uh, pigs. Pigs. Ah. Fella came to me several years ago and said, listen, said, I, I've got a problem with my pigs. said, I've got this place out west of town, and I've got a place north of town. said, invariably, the pigs that go to my place north of town always do better than the ones that go west of town. Hmm. And I said, well, tell me a little more. He said, well, I don't know there's as much to tell. said, the pigs come off the truck. We buy them at a sale barn. They come off the truck. said, we cut them. One pig goes one way. One goes the next way. One goes this way. One goes this way. said, there's no reason. We don't you know, separate them by size or color or age or sex or anything. Just kind of however they come off the truck, that's how they're separated. One group goes, we'll say 50% goes to the place west of town. 50% goes to the place north of town. Feed's the same. You know, we, we get a bag of feed here and a bag of feed there. So there's no rhyme or reason why we separate the feed. He said the pigs that go north of town always outperform the pigs that go west of town. Hmm. And I said, oh, that's a puzzle. So I got to thinking about it. And as it turned out, I knew both places, both farms. The mm-hmm. place west of town was low, swampy, runoff from the dairy, mm. mushy, marshy. So a deep well that went down in that soil, you can picture what the water was like. Mm-hmm. Other place was up on a hill, a lot of clay. Uh, the deep well went down into better quality water. Mm-hmm. And the water alone determined time after time, year after year after year, the pigs did better. Wow. Well, isn't that novel? <laughs> yeah. It's a fluoride story, but it's the same kind of a story. It's the same difference, mm-hmm. yeah. Water is, makes a difference. What we right. consume makes a difference. Right. So you wouldn't think you could learn much from a pig, <laughs> but there's, there's something that the pig taught. Yeah. Quality. I'll tell you, the pigs are a pretty smart creature also. Um, very, very smart. Mm-hmm. I don't smell real 
Great, but smart. <laughs> right now, I've got a story that uh, my turtle practice was limited. I confess, <laughs> it's not existence. But this is a story that that occurred while we were, my wife and I were in in Austria, mm. oh, three or four years ago, and we went out kind of in the out of the off the beaten path. We were not too far from the Hungarian border. We stayed in a smaller town, a bed and breakfast. And if you stayed in, stayed in bed and breakfasts like that, you know you get to know the people, and it right. adds a dimension to a trip that uh, that you don't get staying in the Holiday Inn. So the lady, uh, you know, we ate breakfast with her, and we chatted, and we talked, and and she had a garden, and the garden was was a small garden, but but fence, you know, she had the normal things in a garden, and a little fence around it, wire fence, and in the garden she had a turtle. Now, this was a prehistoric-looking turtle. I mean, it looked like something out of Jurassic Park. I've never seen a turtle <laughs> so ancient as this turtle did. And so we talked about her turtle, you know, just making conversation. She said, well, you know, we've had the turtle for years, you know, and we kind of like him. And said, there's something interesting about that turtle. said he loves strawberries. Mm-hmm. I said, really? I, said, mm-hmm. I never, never thought about that. She said, well, the turtle is just crazy about strawberries. said, but something I've noticed is real interesting that when he eats, eats strawberries out of our garden, the turtle loves them. But when the season's over and we buy tur- uh, strawberries at the store that have been shipped in from Spain, that the turtle will not eat those strawberries. Mm-hmm. So from the composted natural garden at her home, yeah. the turtle likes the strawberries. Otherwise, coming from chemical fertilizers and whatever, mm. the turtle, the turtle I thought, here's an ancient turtle. Yeah, that somehow knows the difference. Yep. Well, he knows that you can't eat. A, you should be eating food that is native to your in surroundings season, or in your area, yeah. and also within in season. Because there's a reason why we're supposed to eat certain foods in season in our area. So that yeah. turtle is darn knows. smart. <laughs> the turtle knows that we'd put stroke, uh, sugar on them and go ahead and eat them anyway. That's right. The turtle somehow knows. Yep. <laughs> Tell you another little story the lady told me about the turtle. She said that when the children come home from school, they usually uh, eat a sandwich or something in the afternoon. She said, anything left over, uh, we feed the turtle. She said, the turtle loves snacks, just like the children do. Mm-hmm. She said, but if we microwave the sandwiches, yeah. the turtle will not eat microwaved. Good for that turtle. Well, but how okay, does, he's so smart. <laughs> how does the turtle know? You know, I know. Isn't that interesting? I think that's fascinating that a turtle... A turtle would know. Would know yeah. the difference between... Well, he would know that the food wasn't alive. He would know that the food but has how? no nutritional value at all. Yeah. yeah. But, but how would he know which one was microwave? That. Yeah, that's wonderful. I would think they would... I mean, they just their instincts are still turned on. Ours are shut mm-hmm. down. <laughs> exactly. That sums it up right there. Yep. That's yep. it. Well, you know, what I was thinking about as you were talking about the turtle and the elephant um, was remember during the big tsunami a couple years ago uh, how all the animals just went for high ground before anything happened. Right. They knew something was wrong. That's Mm -hmm. right. And I I can imagine what people around it were thinking, why are all the animals, you know, making this little trek? Yeah. (laughs) For me, and I can't say what I would have done in that situation, would we have been paying attention? Would any of us be, especially when you're used to having, you know, in that community, I imagine that they're used to having animals around all the time, kind of loose and so forth. Would we pay attention? I doubt if we would, frankly. Yeah, I do We'd too. We'd probably go turn the television set on. <laughs> well, I don't know what they're all doing, you know. They're all kind of taking off running. And, um, and also, we're trying to get some of the people's attention, which yes. I thought was fascinating. Some of them were, yes. Um, I guess it's, it's hello. An, an unlimited number of things we can learn from the animals. Mm-hmm. Unlimited, Dr. Basham. It's just Definitely. fascinating to me, you know, that the longer that I'm alive, and I, I'm sure for both of you, that the more I'm fascinated watching them. I was telling Jeannie that one day I was sitting out in my backyard just trying to, you know, just to have my feet barefoot on the ground and just being out there in nature and just kind of watching all the activity that was going on around me. And it was early spring. And 
this one little bird was sitting in a big, we have great big yucca out here, and he was sitting, she was sitting, and it was a female, and the male was kind of off next to her, and she was just talking away, I mean, like, little sparrows, and he was looking at her and turning his head and turning his head, and then he flew off. So whatever she told him, <laughs> he Go better get to, work, get to work now. <laughs> But there was no argument. He just listened, and then he went and did whatever it was she was having her, her, her say about. And we also recently had a crow. You, crows aren't usually here this time of year. They come in the fall and stay through the winter. And um, there was a, a male and a female crow. The female was injured, and they have stayed here, and now she's flying again. So he would take food to her and feed her and care for her. Um, there was obviously in their mating pairs, there's no question about, am I going to take care of you? It's always for better or for worse. Yes. And that, I thought that was very interesting that they would, they're that loyal to their, they commit to a mate and they stay loyal to them and they serve each other. That's and that is biblical. about crows, that, you know, because some species don't, you know, mate for life. Right. It's really neat. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was yeah. really, really interesting to watch. And that my oh, husband yeah. was real aware of it. He was watching them because he loves birds. So he was Aww. watching every little thing about them and mm. telling me, oh, look, 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 he's over there and he's going to feed her now. <laughs> you know, and they stayed up in a great big, big pine tree um, mm-hmm. high up, you know, and where he could take care of her and make sure she was safe and so forth. Aww. So I thought that was really interesting that we could learn a whole lot about dedication and servitude from the animals as well. No doubt. Well, Dr. Basham, we have actually have a couple of minutes left. I wonder if you have anything else you would like to add. I can't believe it went so fast. We didn't even take a, a commercial break. break. <laughs> well, I was going to mention, uh, and I'll mention this for, for you all and for me as well and, and for your listeners, Daniel chapter 1. Do you all know Daniel chapter 1? Mm-hmm. Where Daniel was taking his captives, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, wanted him to eat his food and so forth, and Daniel right. didn't want to eat his rich food. Mm-hmm. So Daniel and his friends ate raw ate vegetables and right. wine. Mm-hmm. And, a, and ten days later, ten days only, they showed more a healthier appearance and so forth than the others eating the king's rich food. Great, and right? Great, yes. Three three years of eating vegetables. <laughs> Daniel and his friends were were smarter and sharper and stronger and sharper yeah in every way than all the rest of them put together mm-hmm. I thought that was amazing Clear it was it yeah. is amazing and yeah. um, they thought that they would be I think the commitment they made was that if you aren't better if you don't if you're weaker right. then you'll have to eat this king's food but they weren't mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope they were we didn't go for the dainties and the rich fattening things. So if no. We have a program like this, and, and you know we're talking. I we finish, and I said, well, you know, I better pay more attention to that myself. Maybe I need to. Eat <laughs> <laughs> we could probably all take a lesson from that, Doctor Basham. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's the truth. Let me mention one more scripture that you all perhaps okay. with Exodus twenty three twenty five. Mm-hmm. You shall serve the Lord, and He will bless your food and water and take disease out of the midst of thee. Amen. Oh. So that's that is a good one. Mm-hmm. Seeing the animals already know that, don't they? That's right. That was what the animals taught me, what what uh, Moses wrote 3,500 years ago. Uh-huh. That's I know. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. They don't forget. They don't, no matter how much we try to domesticate them, they don't forget. We're the ones who have forgotten. All right. Well, Dr. Basham, we have we are at the end of the show, and I just so enjoyed having you. And yeah, we want everyone to know wonderful. that you're going to be back on our big Christmas show coming up in December, uh, December 17th. And uh, we have something like, right at this point right now, 10 guests that are going to be a part of that show, sharing a real important message that we hope everybody will come to. And we know Dr. Basham is um, going to be, be part of that, and he will also be a repeat guest. So look for him to come back again yeah. soon. Um, hopefully before the Christmas show, and um, visit his website at TotalHealthParable.com, and I believe you have information about your program, The Stool, which addresses all the health concerns, doesn't it? Uh, Yes, it does. And um, so they can write to you and uh, find out about how to get that, and it's very simple, and it's it's very... 
It's simple. That's the important yeah. thing. It's simple. Anybody can do this. <laughs> Last time we talked, we used the word simple about a dozen times. And we've forgotten that word this time, but it still applies. It still right. applies. It definitely does. Well, thank you for being with us, Dr. Basham. And um, we just appreciate you so much. And we look forward to next time. And um, we hope that everybody out there has learned a lot from the animals today. <laughs> well, in the spirit of love and truth. We hope you all have a tail wagging, hoof stomping, wing flapping, perfectly animal talking day. Pets and nature come together every week on Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason. Learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com Naturally.